0: Yeah, follow that, really. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. I feel a bit sort of humbled, really, coming to, to speak today. I hadn't realised how many people were going, I should have realised, really, how many people come to support Ken. and Preaching in front of Robert Crossley, I have to say, is a bit intimidating. <laughs> Robert was here when I first, and Christine and I first came here in 1982, I think it was, and welcomed us, and in particular became, in many ways, my mentor, um, one of the reasons I stand here today in the 20-odd years that I uh, enjoyed working with him. So let's just open uh, by a word of prayer, if we may. Father, we thank you for this series. We thank you for this gospel that we're exploring, this gospel of Luke, uh, that we've been working on now for some time. And Lord, we thank you that the word is challenging and demanding, but also inspirational and encouraging. And Father, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would please fall on us now as you've been doing already, but fall afresh, Lord, we pray. Refresh us, refill us. Dear Holy Spirit, would you come, please, and open up your word to us and help us to leave this place encouraged and challenged to put it into practice in the days and weeks ahead. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So this is the eighth session in our series we've been looking at in Luke's Gospel and we've called it On Mission with Jesus uh, and the, um, for those of you who don't know our new curate, Sophie, she's very heavily into shoes so uh, this is about Sophie's shoes but also all of us getting out and walking uh, and, and, and being on mission and today we're into the first part of chapter 9 uh, which is in many ways I think a turning point in this gospel it's the story of Jesus sending out the disciples to start putting into practice all of the things that he has been teaching and demonstrating and over the last few weeks we've accompanied him in his early ministry, as he taught to large crowds of people who follow him around, he teaches, we're told, with great authority, overturning conventional thinking on just about everything, healing the sick, rebuking and challenging the religious leadership, loving the poor and the unloved, performing miracles, challenging people to build their lives on rock instead of on the shifting sands of things like wealth and short-term earthly success in life. He breaks down the barriers on issues like loving enemies, forgiveness, and how people should treat each other, not judging or criticizing or condemning them. He puts that teaching into practice by declaring that the centurion, a Roman occupier, whose servant he has healed, had displayed more faith than anyone else in all of Israel. By eating with so-called sinners and acknowledging a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, when she welcomes him with kisses and tears and shocking everybody by publicly forgiving her sins. And he demonstrates his power through the casting out of demons and a series of extraordinary healings, like those of a paralyzed man and a man with leprosy, raising a widow's son and the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue from the dead. And as we heard last week, by calming a storm, by rebuking the wind and the raging waters, and in doing so, challenging the disciples who are with him by asking them, when the going gets tough, where is your faith? As we've explored these early chapters, uh, I found myself thinking that what we've got here essentially are four groups of people following Jesus. In simple terms, the first one is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the establishment, who don't like much what they're hearing and seeing. For them, Christ's parables are walls, not windows, into God's kingdom. And they harden their hearts against him, following him around in order to challenge him, to catch him out, to turn the people against him. Then I think the second group are those who are interested in Jesus. They've heard about him. They're bystanders, really interested bystanders. They come out for a day out, picnic, bored with life at home. Let's go out and listen to this guy, see what he's got to say. And they do listen. And maybe they find Jesus quite interesting and challenging. But they're diverted by life's worries, riches, pleasures. They drift away. Then there are large numbers, we know from the Gospels, quite large numbers of of others who are described as disciples, learners, those genuinely interested in what Jesus has to say. And many of them initially receive Christ's words with genuine interest, even joy. But sadly, we know from John's gospel for example chapter 6 verse 66 I think the saddest verse amongst others in the one of the saddest verses in the gospels and many of his disciples left him But finally there is this fourth group those who stick with him and are prepared to follow him apparently whatever the cost and out of this group Jesus has selected 12 to be designated as the apostles those with a special commission. And it is in this 12 that he invests enormous time and energy, even though we know that one of them, Judas, was to turn out to be a traitor. Christ's plan on saving the world is to sacrifice himself on a cross, but only after he has trained disciples who will train disciples who will train disciples. And here we are, 2,000 years later, and I hope that most of us in this room are trained disciples following on those 2,000 years of training. We're part of that final group. We are committed, and we want to do what the Gospel tells us to do. Military life, many of you will know that I come from a military background. Military life is often a -a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week life. Working, resting, playing, training fighting together, seeing each other frightened, tired, hungry, angry, sad, defeated, victorious. All of that develops deep understanding and strong friendships, deep bonds. Paul, in one of his letters to the church in Thessaloniki, tells them that we have loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. And so it is with Jesus setting this example. He sets the twelve apart. He makes it clear that he has chosen them, that he values them, and he will work with them, teaching, explaining, demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like. And education, teaching and training are important, which is why we take them so seriously here at St. Paul's, including having series like this one. But Jesus knows that the only way the disciples will really learn is by getting out and about and putting all this stuff into practice. So having prepared them, he now sends them out into the towns and villages to do what he has shown and taught them, to actually put it into practice. Let's hear what he has to say in this gospel reading from Luke chapter 9.
1: Jesus had called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere.
0: He gave them power... And authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And even though they would face hardship and would need to display resilience, they were to travel lightly. They had to be solely dependent on him. So, believing that anything was possible, they must simply trust that their food, their money, their clothing would be provided. It's easy to say, but you imagine yourself as one of the disciples. And as he'd explained to the apostles in the parable of the sower, there would be disappointments. They would be ignored. They would be rebuked. They would be discouraged by those who, for one reason or another, rejected them. But they mustn't be dismayed. They'd seen it happen to him, but they'd also seen what he had been able to do. And they had the authority to do the same. So travel light, move quickly, shake off the dust of your feet, and move on. What does it all mean for us? This series of being on a mission with Jesus inevitably brings to mind, I think, getting out and about and maybe like the missionaries of the past, leaving family and friends and home comforts in order to go and serve Christ somewhere out there in the world. And for some of us here at St. Paul's, that is the reality. Inevitably, Jan Ransom in Africa, Sharon and Bill Bythe in Moldova, and others immediately spring to mind. And for some of us, this is frightening stuff and we don't want to be involved in it. And I think, to be fair, for many of us, this mission may well be to simply witness to our family, our friends, our neighbours in the various communities around us, responding to the opportunities that emerge day by day. And it will be different for all of us. This series is not about making us feel guilty that we're not with Jan in the Congo. Frankly, she... (laughs) I don't think I want to be there with her. Oh, she's there. (laughs) What are you doing back here? You should be out there. Come on. (laughs) But our circumstances in life, our age, our health, our family situation, all of it is different for us, and we have to think through in this series, what does this mean for me where I am today? And what does it look like and what I can do? But for all of us, that means we have to start with a decision. A decision that we want to put our faith into practice and to do something appropriate to that stage and circumstance in life. So we start with prayer. Drawing closer to God allows him to change us and then through us allows him to change the world around us. And most of us find it easier to do something alongside others, so our initial prayer may well be about asking the Lord to put us in touch with other people or events that we can join in with. Some of the events Claire talked about earlier, other people here in the church who want to do some of this stuff. The passage in Luke, this passage in Luke, is followed in chapter 10 by Jesus sending out a further 72 disciples to go on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he was about to go. They were not unique in their qualifications, but they were part of that fourth group. They wanted to stay with him. They wanted to work with him. They were no better educated, capable, or higher status than the other disciples. What equipped them was their awareness of Jesus' power, their desire to serve him, and their vision for reaching out to people. And it wasn't by chance that Jesus sent them out two by two. So they would encourage one another and share all the activities and the events that unfurled. But it isn't easy. And, of course, we all get it wrong, often. But it doesn't mean that we should stand still in our Christian lives, hide our faith, and make no attempt to grow, which is why this series, again, is so important. Trying to do the right thing, to live as Christ calls us to live, but often failing, is as much a reality for the disciples as it is for us. But having the authority to bring light into this dark world, we can do our bit to witness Mostly, I have to say, through our actions and our reactions to events and the folks around us, as best we can. In doing so, we are indeed preaching the gospel. And travel light. Life can be heavy, very heavy. Others dump demands and expectations on us. Our diaries get busy. Mobiles ring, texts bleep, emails pour in. And we drag yesterday's disappointments or broken dreams around us as we peer anxiously into tomorrow. So when we look at a world laden with pain, poverty, greed and conflict, we can all too easily begin to ask, what's the point? Why bother? Or we, we can be worried that we don't have all the answers to the myriad of questions that people will throw at us. So crucially, and I think this is the key issue For me anyway, from today, crucially, we simply look to introduce people to Jesus, not religion. Over the last four weeks, I've spoken at outreach events to young students in Cambridge and older servicemen and women in Bristol. Spoken to a bunch of hardened prisoners in Pentonville Prison in London and to a Christian growing leaders course in Darkest Oldershot. A constant theme running through these sorts of events is that people don't like much what they see in religion. And it must be said for some pretty good reasons. Which is why my aim in all these places and everywhere else I go is simply to speak about Jesus Christ. As Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, how, can they, how then can they call on the one, i.e. Jesus, when they have not believed Or they have not believed in him. And how can they believe in the one, Jesus, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? How beautiful, says Paul, are the feet of those who bring good news. And that's what we're called to bring. Simply the good news of Jesus Christ. We present him as the one who doesn't offer the message of trying and failing to obey religious rules, but as the one who comes to show us what God is really like. That he loves us, all of us, just as we are. That he wants the best for us. And that in Jesus Christ, we are offered a stunning invitation to simply get to know our Creator, Father. Unlike the worst of religion that packages up bundles of rules, loading down everybody like pack animals, taking pleasure in watching us stagger under these loads without lifting a finger to help. Jesus simply says, in the world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So come. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In me you will have life in all its fullness One of my mantras when I speak is that whilst I'm no fan of religion, or I have to say, hesitatingly, knowing some people in the audience, congregation, the church, because it's flawed, because it's made up of people like you and me, nonetheless, I am a great fan of Jesus Christ. And in saying that, I simply work to encourage people to read the Gospels for themselves. In doing so, I know that many will ignore me, in which case I can only walk away and leave them to it, which is tough. But some will respond. They'll go away and reflect and read about him. Jesus tells us in Matthew's Gospel that wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Our job is simply to invite people to meet Jesus so that they will find the road that leads to life. And like the disciples, we too have to be prepared sometimes to shake off the dust and move on in order to get on with sowing more seeds. And when we do that sort of stuff, incredible things happen. And one of the reasons we're here today is to celebrate some of that. And I just want to ask... Uh, Ken, who, as we've heard, started the Youth Fellowship 50 years ago. Is Ken awake? (laughs) Hi, Ken. I want to ask you, Ken, you started the Youth Fellowship here 50 years ago. Tell us a little bit about about how you did it and what flowed from it.
1: Well, in the time that I've got available, I could uh, not tell you everything, but I could just fill you in with the bare bones I hope that if you've got any other questions that you will speak to some of our team here today who will very happily tell you of their experiences. Way back in 1969, the Reverend John Pryor was holding a parish mission. Um, We were joined up in those days with St Mary's. And in the program, there was a program on the Thursday night for the youth and I said to John, I said, John, you've got an evening for the youth, but you've got nothing afterwards. And He said, well, I've got nobody to do anything. And that is when God's call to me, I was in the right place at the right time, just to begin to think about how we could get something underway. There were problems. I couldn't start a group or a fellowship, because it was a fellowship, Uh, with girls and boys unless I had a female contact with me Joyce wasn't able to be there then so I went back to the vicar and I said to him John I need a lady to help me he said well I just know a teacher who lives just off King's Ride go and see her and ask her if she will help so at 10 o'clock at night I knocked on her front door (laughs) And I asked her very carefully, would you come and join in the group? She was delighted to start, and John Wickenden was the first member and three other people who joined that night shortly afterwards when we had our first meeting. We used to meet in the choir festival, and we were privileged to have John Rawlings, the Reverend John Rawlings, to lead our Bible studies on a Friday night. And those Bible studies were an inspiration to so many. And I look back now and I think I can't no longer read the Bible, but I'm grateful for the teaching that John did on the Friday nights teaching the young people how to find in the Bible what God wants them to do. And then I'm grateful too for the opportunity I had to extend the work from a Friday night to a Saturday evening social function, and more importantly, our Sunday evening youth service. The first Sunday of the month was parish service, and the other three Sundays uh, the vicar allowed me to find who I could to help lead the service. And those services were wonderfully blessed. And one of the great things about the youth fellowship that I shall always remember that week after week, year after year, we saw conversions happening all the time simply because the young people wanted to find Jesus as their saviour and they found that when they came along to the youth group in that way. So I just say one final thing that I didn't know, but behind all this there was a dear lady in this church, her name was called Ella uh, Carter, um, Eleanor Carter and she had been praying for years for the youth work in this church and it was a great delight for me to be able to go and tell her what was happening and to see that her prayers were answered and those are the just the beginnings there's so much more that goes on behind the scene. but I just say thank you to God for starting the youth group I just happened to be there where he called me.
0: Well done, Ken. Thank you very much. (laughs) Ken, thank you. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit more later on, obviously, when the children and youth come back in. Um, And subsequently, out of interest, uh, a guy called Ian Jury, who some will remember, Polly Hudson, and myself ran Youth Fellowship here in the 80s, and there are many other people here who followed on what Ken started, and the work, of course, continues today under Daniel. The other thing I just want to share with you is I remember Chris Higgins. I don't think Chris and Sandra are here this morning, are they? But I did look around earlier I remember Chris Higgins, when I was running the wider community stuff, saying he'd like to start a thing called Healing on the Streets. Now, those of you who don't know Chris Higgins should know he's a, general pe- he's a GP. He's a doctor, and he, has a, he was working in a practice. The idea that a GP is prepared to put himself on the streets of Camberley and pray for healing for people is pretty staggering, actually. And Chris got it up and running, and Keith has now taken it on, and I've just asked Keith to give us a few ideas and a few thoughts.
2: Thank you, Tim, and thank you, Ken. Um, hopefully some of you know me. I'd love to know every single one of you. Healing on the streets, we're in our ninth year now in Camberley, It's Camberley Churches. We also have people who come and join us from Guildford and from Wokingham, so that's great. So we're in our ninth year. Every Saturday on Park Street, hail, rain, snow or blow. Very simply, we walk up to people. We don't hide behind a dog collar or a uniform, so they don't know who we are. We don't know who they are. All that we do, as a bunch of Christians, we serve who I believe is an extraordinary God. We ask them if they would like healing prayer. We pray for them. We can sit with them. We can kneel with them. We listen to most intimate details. But above all, we let them know that Jesus loves them. Tears flow. I would dare say that miracles happen and healing takes place. I can't explain why some people are healed and others are not. That's for God to do his work. I think the experience of healing on the streets is changing me for a greater sense of God's Compassion. Finally, it's not that easy. It is scary, but come and join us. Don't be scared. We suffer, and I say suffer, rejection. Sometimes it's polite. Sometimes people ask us to fade away. (laughs) (laughs) But nevertheless, we press on for healing in the streets of the people of Camberley.
0: Incredible stories, aren't they? And it may sort of leave you in awe, thinking, well, I can't do any of that. But Ken started because he felt the Lord was calling him to a particular thing. Chris Higgins started the healing on the streets. People like Keith have taken it on and run with it because they want to follow what the Gospels tell us to do. They want to take that teaching that we're learning about and put it into practice. And it isn't easy. We have this expression in the military during the Cold War years, when Robert uh, was here, of course, in in, in that 1982 period, was still the Cold War, the inner German border. And uh, we had that wonderful relationship with the church in East Germany. And in those days, we used to talk about the forward edge of the battle area, the FIBA, which was the front end of where you were meeting up with the enemy. And those two ministries are FIBA ministries. They're engaged in the front end of the battle. They are doing what Jesus told his disciples to do. Preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick and show the love of Christ to a broken world. So we look to him. We don't need lots of resources or stuff. That Healing on the Streets team has a banner, I think still takes it out the banner, but a couple of chairs but that's it. Uh, We don't need lots of stuff, we just need to look to Christ to bring his power to bear. We just preach the gospel, obeying and believing that in him, we, all of us, in this room, have his authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. I was uh, speaking at another church recently who had a poster on the wall giving what they called the Prescriptions for a Healthy Church Love Jesus. Be brave. Speak truth. Good teaching. Stay awake. (laughs) Well done for staying awake so far. And I hope what I've tried to bring is some truth through some good teaching. But now, all of us need to go out from here and be brave by putting that teaching into practice and to do it as a result of our love for Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will all do that. Amen.